0: Well, welcome back to our study of the book of Proverbs. We're in chapter four and we're still looking at verses uh, 18 and 19. We should finish that up today. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, I pray that this, that these classes, Lord, these small discussions that they not be in vain that they give hope that is more than temporal that it be eternal oh dear God what does it matter if these young people become somewhat wise but miss your son oh dear father I pray that they would love your wisdom, your law, principles, narratives, and all that you give us in the word. But I pray, Lord, that they would always love it in the context of Christ. That Christ is everything. Everything points to him. Oh, dear God, please, please, dear God, work in a tremendous way. Please, I pray for the conversion of children and young people and anyone else, Lord, who might be listening to this video. Oh, dear God, please, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, like I said, we're in chapter 4. And let's read verse 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Now, I just want you to look at, at four things that are kind of here that's very important. Verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Okay, so it's like light. The way of the wicked is like darkness. Now, if you go to Second uh, Corinthians six, and uh, well, let's just hold your place and let's go to Second Corinthians six. This is important. Um, look at verse fourteen. Look at verse fourteen. Chapter six, second Corinthians, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Do not be in a relationship with unbelievers that is allowing their influence to erode your devotion. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? And it's a rhetorical question. Zero is the answer. And if we could go less than zero, we would. Righteousness and lawlessness have nothing in common. What? Righteousness is what? St- conformity to God's standard, which is the law. OK, what is lawlessness? A complete rejection of the law, which is God's righteous standard or in which God's righteous standard is revealed. So there's nothing between the two, absolutely nothing. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship is there? Again, zero. It's either one or the other. Now, you can argue that if you bring light and darkness together, it creates sort of a gray. Well, is that what you want? (laughs) Is that what you want? Do you want to walk in the gray? That's a very dangerous place. Matter of fact, I've never met anyone who walked in the gray for any length of time that didn't end up in the black. In darkness. And then he says in verse 15, he even gets more bold. He says, what harmony has Christ with Belial? With the devil? Is there anything in agreement between the devil and Christ? Zero again. Do you see that zero? Absolutely nothing. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Again, the rhetorical question and the answer is nothing. Now, you can share things with unbelievers. You can share a love for nature. You can share a love for photography. You can share a love for reading old books. But with regard to that which is most essential with regard to worldviews, they have nothing in common with regard to destinies, with regard to a relationship to God, they have nothing in common. And let me let me say this young person right now, there is more pressure on Christians in the West than ever before to adapt their worldview to the world. And I want you to know I'm seeing people do it. It's wrong. Any shape, form or fashion, it's just wrong. And when we compromise, ultimately, it comes down to either one of two things, self-love or self-preservation or both. You see, so there's nothing, absolutely nothing in common do they have now. Let's go on to verse 19. The way of the wicked is darkness. Now, we talked about what is the way of the wicked? What is it? It's that way which contradicts the nature of God and the revelation of his nature through his law, through his word, through his immutable standard. So the wicked are those who walk in a way that is contrary to God's will. They delight in it and they do it as a practice. Now. One of the chief characteristics of the lost we mentioned is moral darkness, spiritual darkness, intellectual darkness. Um, Spiritually, there's no great devotion or anything toward God. Uh, Intellectually, they cannot understand even God's revelation of himself or his will or matters that pertain to walking in obedience to God in this life. And then there's also the moral. They simply live in a manner, in a way, that is contrary to God's way. And to be very honest with you, an abomination, and something that God disdains. He it's an he abominates it. He hates it. And so this is a very, very serious matter. Now. I want to go on and I want to look at the kind of the, the result of what happens to those who walk in darkness, that they are condemned to stumble and fall. Look at uh, verse 19. The way of the wicked is darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you're walking in a room and it's filled with all kinds of traps you would at least want to want the lights on because you stand a much better chance with the lights on of not falling into one of those traps. But if it's just pitch black darkness, then you cannot know what's in front of you. And when you stumble, you won't even know what you stumbled over. And it leads to kind of an endless, an endless cycle of defeat, honestly. You know, I've I've met uh, Christians, single Christians, who have had maybe four or five different relationships, and on every one of those relationships, their parents, the godly people around them, told them it wasn't wise, but they did it anyways. And then, you know, after the first time, why did this happen to me? After the second time, why did this happen to me? After the third time, why did this happen to me? Why did I stumble? Why did I fall? After the fourth time, I don't understand. It's a mystery. It's no mystery. It's no mystery. It's no mystery at all. If you want to walk in darkness, then you're going to have to uh, at least give in to the fact, accept the fact that you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and you're going to do it over and over and over again. And the only way to avoid that is by walking in the light. Now, I want to go back again to 1 John for a moment and look at verses uh, chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11. The one who loves his brother, that means they're a Christian. The evidence of being a Christian is that they love their brother. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, he stays there. It's like his place. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. He doesn't stumble, but he doesn't cause others to stumble. Verse 11. But the one who hates his brother, the unconverted man, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Even very successful people in this life. um, They seem to be quite astute, quite wise, street savvy, a businessman. They know how to make all kinds of money. But. Apart from Jesus Christ, you may do several things that will cause you to prosper in this world. But with regard to that, which is most important, you will fail. And young person, what is more important? 90 years of prosperity, wealth and fame, 90 years of everything the world can give you. And then stand before the judgment throne of God and be rejected. Even if it was 90 years of suffering and loss, it would be better for a person to suffer that, but stand before God accepted, wouldn't it? And so there are consequences and you need to realize that. Now, I want to read two passages from Job, which are not really well known, but they really uh, bring this point uh, home to our hearts. The first one is in Job chapter eight. Verses 11 through 14. And and look what it says. It's absolutely, it really is good. Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? No. Can rushes grow without water? No. While it is still green and not cut down, yet it withers before any other plant. Okay. Even when it's green. Even when these things are green, they're still going to be cut down in time and they're going to wither. So are the paths of all who forget God. Now think about it. Notice this. It doesn't say so are the paths of all those who've declared war on God. It doesn't say "Um, so are the paths of all those who have joined the atheistic society. It just says forget So many people call themselves Christians and you need to understand this, but in their daily life, they demonstrate that they're not because there's no remembrance of God in anything they do in their speech, in their ethics, in their behavior, in their worldview, they're Christian according to their own idea, but they have forgotten God. And the hope of the godless will perish. The godless are those a lot like the unrighteous who live contrary to God, but also contrary to his person. They do not have a relationship of intimacy to God. They're not seeking to know him, to commune with him, to imitate him. They are the godless. They are without God. They will perish. Whose confidence is fragile and whose trust is. A spider's web. Young person, listen to this. There have been many a great sermons preached on this text. Every moment you live. Without Christ. You are like a very large spider. Walking on. A very thin web. Over a burning fire. That's what you're doing. And you need to know that. And if I love you and I fear God, I need to tell you. And so this is not just about principles or not just about walking in the way of the righteous. It's about salvation, about trusting in Christ. Now, there's another passage in Job 22, 15 through 17. Will you keep to the ancient path, which wicked men have trod, who were snatched away before their time, whose foundations were washed away by a river? They said to God, depart from us. And what can the almighty do to them? Now, just listen. Will you keep to the ancient paths that wicked men have trod ever since Adam there have been wicked men on this earth who have trod a path contrary to the will of God. Even in just the first chapters after the book of Genesis, we see this. We see Cain versus Abel. We see we see the flood of Noah. We see the tower of Babel. We see so many things. It's an ancient path. Of radically depraved, morally corrupt, fallen men walking a path. But that path always ends in the same place. Destruction. And it says that who were snatched away before their time. The judgment fell upon them sooner or later. Whose foundations were washed away by a river. Do you know what that means? There's just no memory of them. They're they're gone. One day, God will create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell and his people will dwell in righteousness. And not one wicked person, not only will they not be there, they will have been forgotten. Think about that. We can see this. You know, there have been people. People politicians, musicians, uh, famous actors, wealthy men that came to be, you know, everyone in the world envied them and wanted to be like them. Now, if I were to mention some of their names, you probably wouldn't even know about whom I was speaking. Do you see that? It's very important. I used to tell my children, still do, do you do you uh, celebrate? George Washington's birthday, the founder of our country. Um, Do you like throw a party? Do you have, you know, an hour of silence? Do you look at pictures of George Washington? What do you do? And they go, Dad, we don't do anything. I said, I know. He was the founder of a country, the first president. Children, do you think you'll be as famous as him? They go, well, probably not. Okay. So you pretty much know you're not going to be as famous as him. And at the same time, he's basically forgotten. His foundations are removed. If his home still exists, someone else lives in it. You see? There's got to be more. And there is for those who walk in the paths of righteousness, who have trusted Christ, their hearts have been changed. Now, let's go on. Let's look at at why men are this way. Well, we've already looked at John 3, 19 through 20. And if you remember correctly, men, they simply hate the light because they love the darkness. And they love the darkness because they're dark. They're morally dark. They not only are able to be in evil... And wickedness, They desire it. They desire it. And they hate any light that is going to reprove them. They hate any light that's going to expose their evil deeds. So that's one of the reasons why men continue to walk in the paths of wickedness. But then I want to go back to Job. Listen to what Job says. You know, we've already looked at John 3 and he talks about they hate the light. They hate the light. And I want you to know this isn't a new doctrine. Job twenty four thirteen speaks of those who rebel against the light. They do, um, they do not want to know its ways nor abide in its paths. See, this is Old Testament doctrine, New Testament doctrine. Those who rebel against the light, it's because they don't want to know. They don't want to know because they don't want to walk there. Because they hate that type of stuff and they love evil. They love evil. Proverbs 5, 6 is talking about the uh, the immoral woman, but it has a wider application. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. It's it's like a bird. I mean, we we say bird brain. I guess it's because uh, birds don't have that big a brain and aren't that intelligent. It's like. This woman here, she doesn't ponder the path of her life. She doesn't look at what she's doing and think about the consequences. She doesn't look at the reality of God and the reality of his word. She's just kind of carried on by her lusts and by foolishness. We can say the same thing about men. Now, do you really want to be this way? She doesn't ponder the path of life. She doesn't. Sit down and think about what is truly important. Well, let me ask you a question. Is that a pretty good description of you? When was the last time you sat down and took an inventory, young person, and you said, you know what? It's a matter of life, death, heaven, hell. How then shall we live? These are great and solemn factors. Yes, they are. Tremendously so. So what will you do? You know, there's these old paintings of a priest or a philosopher, you know, and he's he's there and he's holding up a skull and he's looking at it and everyone thinks, man, that's morbid. Uh, but he's, yeah, I don't recommend that. <laughs> but he's doing something. It's, it's something other than what you think. He's not delighting in death. He's thinking about his own mortality. But see, most people, people today especially most young people you're so entertained on the internet emails, texts you know videos, YouTube TikTok all these different things you're so entertained with the frivolous that you never really sit down and contemplate your mortality you know the greatest questions in the world first one is is there a God second Has he revealed his will, and am I responsible? Third, will I be judged? Fourth, is there a way out? And that, of course, is Christ. And then fifth, well, how then shall we live? Borrowing from Francis Schaeffer, how then shall we live? Circumspectly, Paul says, wisely. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Following God's Word. Now, how should we respond? First of all, we should take warning in the fact, and this is from Psalms 1 6, we should take warning in the fact that God knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, it's a wonderful thing that God knows the way of the righteous, because it doesn't just mean He knows it, like uh, knowledge, because He has perfect knowledge of the way of the wicked. What it means is not only does he know the way of the, the righteous, but the word ha- is relational. He's intimately involved in the way of the righteous and intimately involved, really and truly involved, uh, providentially involved in the lives of those who walk in the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked get no such assistance or blessing from God. They'll just perish They'll just perish. So what should we do? We should take warning again, young person. Listen to me. I wouldn't be here right now if this was just a matter of your best life now. Who cares about that? What we really need to be thinking about is knowing God, obeying God. And the day we stand before God. Now. So, the first thing that we have here is we should take warning. That's the first thing we should do. Second, we should avoid the way of the wicked. You're not going to walk in the way of the righteous as long as you're constantly walking in the way of the w- wicked. And you're always in danger if you're drawing near to that path to be tantalized. Proverbs 115. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. You say, well, I can get close. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can get close to a really hungry 1,200 pound grizzly bear. I guess. You can get close to a mature mountain lion. You can. You can get close to a jaguar. You know what? You can even follow what the book of Job says. You can stretch out your hand and touch Leviathan, but the Bible assures you, you'll never forget it. There's consequences. And you need to avoid the way of the wicked. Now listen, something else I want to tell you. When you're walking on the path of righteousness, I brought this up, but I want to iterate it um, with a verse. The wicked will constantly be screaming at you, whispering to you, talking to you, dialoguing with you, trying to get you to compromise, to walk out of that path. It says in Isaiah 3011, they say, Get out of the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Ah, you're always talking about God. You're always talking about the Bible. Let's go do something else. Just listen to what it says. You see, the wicked aren't content to walk in the path of the wicked because as long as there are righteous walking in the way of the righteous, the wicked are going to be miserable because the righteous shine light upon their sin and animate once again their conscience. So, the wicked are always going to be telling you, turn aside from the path. Now, interesting here that some of the wicked seem to know a lot more than some of the, those who claim to be righteous because they've, they've made a relationship between the path and hearing from the Holy One of Israel. How do you know how to walk in the path of righteousness? Is it according to what the world says? Is it according to what contemporary Christianity says? Is it according to what even your flesh says? Should you just figure it out on your own? No. You must hear from the Holy One of Israel. And how do you do that? Through his word. Through his word. Okay. One last thing to always remember. Um, Proverbs fifteen twenty four: The path of life. This path of light. Leads upward for the wise. Isn't that beautiful? Not only does it go from light to light. The path of life leads upward for the wise. That he may keep away from Sheol. Below. The grave. Death. Hell. You say, well, I want to walk in this wisdom. I want to obey these precepts. Wonderful. But always remember what I have told you over and over and over again. Before we even start talking about precepts, are you reconciled to God through 100% grace, 100% the work of Christ? Have you repented of your sins and believed unto salvation? It's after that that we begin to think about walking. Walking. But before you're born, you can't walk, and you must be born again. God bless you, and I hope this has been helpful. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by Heart Cry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about Heart Cry Missionary Society.